we are discussing about the Africa continental free trade area and that it has started operating and any trade transactions going on in Africa should ideally go through the Africa continental free trade area framework. So, Mr. Biko, if you could introduce yourself and possibly start uh, by speaking about what is the Africa continental free trade area aiming to achieve and what does it mean that it is now operating? My name is Kobi Abiko. I've got a background in, um, in language, English language and literature, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, law and uh, business. That's my background. And, um, you know, I've been uh, on the Africa Asia platform discussing a few things as regards Africa. And this is a very great opportunity for me to be uh, invited again to talk about issues surrounding the Africa Free Trade Area, which has been launched on the first of this year. The question which uh, I've been asked to deal with is what does the launch mean? What does it mean, the African Free Trade Area? For me and to most of the people, uh, it will mean that we are starting, we are moving into after spending so much time within the, the political domain since African states started getting independence and becoming republics. So it means that we are on our way to uh, creating a massive em- employment for our youth and women. It will mean also we are on our way to increasing our capacity in terms of uh, uh, increased salaries. We are on our way to have manufacturers. We are on our way to competing with other entities if you, when I mean entities, I'm talking about economic entities like China, economic entities like India, economic entities like European Union, and economic entities like um, America, North America. But more importantly, is that we have got our mojo right. We have got things right. Mm-hmm. And African as an entity by itself is going to see to it that um, we first and foremost eradicate poverty by increasing incomes across the board in all households in Africa. So for us as Africans is a moment of to treasure, is a moment to celebrate, and is a moment where we can say, really, after all those struggles, we have come to a point or a tipping point where we have nothing else to do except move, uh, I mean, jump into the water and swim with the sharks, if you will. So that is my understanding of the launch of the, the African free trade. Eradication of poverty for me uh, is, the, is the number one obligation of the African free trade area. Mm, okay. And uh, so th- those are very good comments, Vico, uh, especially with regards to like the potential quantity of trade that's going to go through uh, with the free trade area. And uh, the Egyptian president is the one who, like speaking the context of the African continental free trade area, was noting that the eyes of the world are turned towards Africa, which, and for good uh, reason, because like with once the free trade area is operating, then there's huge potential for what Africa can do for itself, and that impacts the world. So, of course, the eyes of the world are turned towards Africa. So, Joel, tell me, uh, what are your comments about that? Like, especially now that it looks like Africa is catching the attention of the world. And this time round, it's almost like for the big potential that it stands to realize through the free trade area. Yeah, thanks, Christine. And um, as I'm joining late uh, by quick introduction, Joel Moura, a finance and accounting professional working in Bermuda. Um, I'm currently working in the insurance regulation sector. Um, and I'm a keen uh, student of life when it comes to matters development agenda. And I think uh, my colleagues uh, have clearly um, indicated the importance of this agreement, especially in the area of um, developing Africa and moving things forward in Africa. Uh, the question of uh, the eyes are turned, of the world are turned to Africa, as the Egyptian president observed, I thought it is a, a great question, or it's a great comment uh, to be uh, come from you know, the African Union uh, as an organization, because then it uh, really kept me thinking, if the eyes of the world are turned to Africa, then 
I think the bigger question that we really have to ask ourselves is where are the eyes of Africans themselves turned towards? The question is then, why is the world all of a sudden turning towards Africa? I mean, if you listen to the main channels, news, CNN, BBC, um, Al Jazeera, or the others, you will hear them talking about the Africa known as we grew up, which was associated with those sorts of negative descriptions. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, Kobe mentioned uh, about illiteracy and poverty. Uh, we have heard about diseases, hungers, famines, water shortages, poor housing, slums. We have Liberia, Soweto to be proud about, and Madara in Nairobi. Interstate wars, civil conflicts, uh, AIDS, name it. Anything negative you can associate with the human existence has always been associated with Africa. And not to mention, of course, uh, the area of uh, corruption, definitely shined a lot. But then the question still remains in my mind, all of a sudden, what has changed? Again, what I was doing about this, we have had the um, comments in the main media as well as amongst Africans themselves, talking about the second scramble for Africa. Sometimes I wonder whether it's the second or the third or the fourth scramble we are talking about, not certain where that is. But we are aware at least of the 1884 Berlin Conference where the Europeans did sit in Bali, shared out Africa as a cake on a table amongst themselves. Everybody, you know, ended up with their portion. And uh, what about Africa? They had nothing to scramble for in that first sitting. Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes: in the second scramble, uh, are Africans actually scrambling for their mother? Is it going to be another scramble for their own motherland? Right in their presence, sometimes not even aware of what's happening, and sometimes, um, you know, not really even what the implications of that are going to be in the medium term, in the immediate term, medium term, as well as the long term. Just a quick introduction of Africa. What is Africa? So Africa is actually one continent. It's, you know, a great variety of people, 54 countries, plus disputed areas, that's Somaliland and Western Sahara. And geographically, it is the world's second largest continent after Asia, covering 3 million kilometers, 7.7 square kilometers, or in percentages terms, that's 6% of the earth surface uh, covering the water and land. Just on a look at the land itself, is 20% of the earth's land. We are about uh, 17% of the world's human population. And this population, what's also interesting about it, is as a whole, it is a, a very young population. It's uh, 60% of that population is it below 25 years. And this makes it the world's youngest population. Um, Africa is actually the youngest continent amongst all the world's continent with a median age of 18 years, uh, whereas the world's median age is about 30 years. And comparing to the rest of the continents, Europe, Europe is about 42 years old. North America has a median age of 35 years. Asia has 31 years. South America, 31 years. Oceania, 33 years. And uh, what are the more interesting look at that is that continent that you pick on average in the world today is 13 years of Africa. So Africa in real terms, when you look at the population, is that it's really when it comes to the age of the African dwellers. And uh, you know what is even more interesting about uh, the Africa population is that uh, in year Africans uh, are of working age. And by 2020, sorry, by 2050, about the African population is projected to be under 25 years old. And I, like I have mentioned, most of that population is pretty, uh, or rather is pretty young. The population leaves about half of it, or about 43% lives in the urban areas, which is expected to be about 50% by 2030. And so just listening to those statistics, a young population a healthy population, a population that is ready to work. Um, it's living in the urban areas, about half of it by 2030. What does that mean? For any business mind or entrepreneurial thinkers, as well as policy thinkers in the world, then they look at all that uh, mix of factors and they say, well, the economic future of the world is actually in Africa. Mm. And I think this is what it's turning towards Africa where that 60% of the world's Arab is enough, which represents uh, billions of potential investments in Africa. So literally, Africa can feed the entire world. 
And uh, one last fact about Africa, which uh, we all know, but we tend to assume, is that Africa is really the cradle of humanity. Mm. It's also the cradle of human civilizations. Mm. So every single civilization you see on the planet, every single human being you see on the planet, literally, we have Africa as our mother in the real sense. So I think uh, that kind of gives us a quick introduction to our own, our very own motherland, Africa. So I, I kind of tend to now see why the rest of the world would actually have their eyes turned toward, towards Africa. They see opportunity. They see the future. They see great uh, business opportunities for themselves and for their future generations. Mm. But what about Africans? Well, Joel, those are really good observations and comments, you know, especially with regards to, like, the world is looking at Africa based on those facts that you've said and the potential that it holds. But then the question is rightly, as you put it, uh, where is Africa looking? And hopefully through these uh, discussions, we can shed some light on why this the Africa continental free trade area is such a big deal. So, Biko, if I could ask you, what would uh, people expect from this, uh, the Africa continental free trade area? Do we expect there's some migration restrictions? Do we, do we expect faster clearance of imports and exports? Uh, ideally, uh, assuming that the implementation is one thing, because the agreement looks good on paper, but uh, the implementation of it is, of course, going to be paced. But what's the expectation that should be in our minds now that this is happening? Yeah, I'll probably give it a first shot. Um, I think uh, those of us from Kenya are very familiar with the events at the border between Kenya and Uganda, which I believe is a random representation of what goes on a lot in other African countries in terms of uh, hold up, hold ups, sometimes unreasonable in terms of the clearance of goods coming from Uganda to Kenya, as well as from Kenya to Uganda. And sometimes some of those goods are going all the way to Congo. And there's sometimes uh, other countries like Rwanda, uh, Burundi, and uh, other Central and Western African countries. So I think the first and most immediate uh, impact that really I think it would be fair to expect if African countries are really serious about uh, what they say African um, continental free trade area agreement really stands for is an immediate commitment and immediate implementation of a faster clearance of imports and exports um, of goods across all African borders. Uh, so any holdups that have been contributing to those, sorry, any factors that have been contributing to those holdups, whether it's factors arising from bureaucracy of the atoms between the two countries, yeah. uh, the staffing of those uh, clearance, corruption in the clearance process, that those are the meant to quickly jump on and really um, you sort out one quick signal to say, hey, we signed this agreement and we mean business and we are committed to it. Um, the other thing that I think would be reasonable to expect would be, would like to see probably associated with the faster clearance, then uh, countries taking measures, the, the movement of people between borders, whether it's business people, whether it is professionals, whether it is uh, tourists or students, uh, moving across borders, uh, we definitely would like to see African countries making it as easy as possible. I know some countries, for example, have uh, started working on saying visa on arrival for people from the rest of Africa. I think that would be a good point, but eventually we definitely want to see probably a visa-free visa -free travel across the entire of Africans for Africans and hopefully eventually for all people um, in the future. Um, so I think uh, those two, I think, could be my most immediate expectations. I think in the long, in the long term, okay, the bigger elephant in the room in terms of expectations is a shift of attitudes uh, towards uh, Africans themselves, towards each other. How do we look at each other, for example? How do we look at an African, for example, from the Sahel region or from West Africa or from South Africa? 
Olden, how do I look at my fellow Africans from East Africa region, Ethiopians, Somalis, Tanzanians, uh, you know, uh, people from Malawi, Uganda, Rwanda, Congo. Like these are people uh, we have not previously interacted very well with just because of the colonial legacy and the siloed countries and colonial borders that we definitely inherited from the 1884 Berlin Conference. Um, however, if this uh, trade agreement to mean anything for all of us, then I think the question of change of mindsets uh, becomes a, then I think the bigger question that we really have to start working on. So we definitely should expect at all levels on the continent, whether we are looking at individuals like ourselves, professionals like ourselves, uh, family discussions, um, you know, county government discussions, uh, whether we are looking at municipal discussions or nat even national conversations, uh, the presidents themselves who sign these agreements or their trade ministers must be really the first custodians, as well as the people who are spearheading the process of changing people's mindsets and attitudes towards each other, as well as towards the prosperity of Africa and the training processes and the education processes associated with that. Okay, uh, and so uh, thanks for that, Joel. And if I may ask, uh, Biko, if you can hear me or uh, mm, one of I can. you I can. can, okay. Uh, tell me, what do you think would count as success for the Africa continental free trade area? What, what do you think, uh, looking at six months down the line, looking back to this, you'll be saying, this is success. What will you be looking at? Is it trade volumes? Is it uh, the amount of uh, like movement of people, or what would count as success? Uh, first of all, uh, I appreciate so much the breakdown of statistics, which Joel has uh, enunciated uh, a couple of uh, minutes ago, and they have given us a clear view of uh, Africa as a continent. They are very much appreciated because those, those statistics give us uh, a very good, uh, you know, understanding of what we're dealing with in terms of uh, population, the demographics breakdown, uh, you know, the statistics all, all, all together. When you ask yourself about what could be seen as success for the, the African free trade area, um, there are many things. There are many things. Uh, let's say six months down the line, you have, uh, you have indicated. Six months down the line, we should be able to see, uh, as we indicated, trade volumes. And uh, more importantly, is to see that governments are giving more impetus to the law and the letter of the African free trade area. Why am I saying that? It's because if we have, as you said, uh, a very good document on paper, but we are not going, that's just theoretical, we are not accepting it in, uh, to implement it or in, in practice, then we will have shortchanged ourselves. If we could see that uh, uh, goods are moving, there is no, uh, that glitch which you find at the, at the border of a lot of trucks which are there, if you continue seeing uh, new border posts and fast clearance of goods, goods and, uh, and uh, as well as people moving from one country to the next. When we start seeing bringing down or the crumbling of barriers like um, the better regimes, especially to some countries which are very tight on that, like South Africa, where I am at the moment, they are very strict uh, visa regimes. Uh, and they, they have to bring that down so that they can allow more movements and people. Most of the countries uh, in Africa are very protective of themselves. These protect, uh, protections which have been put in place in terms of tariffs, uh, compliance, uh, and, and uh, you know, legal processes are the ones which have contributed so much to poverty levels in Africa. One thing which we should be seeing six months down the line, one year down the line, is the relaxation of uh, tariffs, whereby the milestones which have been set by the document, the Africa Free Trade document, should be seen that they are being achieved. 
not only on paper you say, no, uh, let's say, for example, Uganda is willing to um, accept the, the tariffs and uh, all those kind of non-tariffs, relaxation and everything. But all of a sudden, you go down six months down the line at the border, you find you now it's just business as usual. So that one uh, should be the measure, should be a very important measure in terms of uh, a milestone. So six months down the line, one year down the line, we should be seeing more factories being set, more business people traveling. We should be seeing more um, trade volumes. We must see, uh, uh, you know, people are, are taking up the African, uh, what is it, the African passport, which was mooted, and I think it came out, it was given to the African uh, chairman that time. We should be seeing a lot of things which are happening in Africa. And I've just mentioned a few, but I think also the panel, other panels have got other things which they could be talking about. But in the long run, in the long run, like five years down the line, 10 years down the line, we should be seeing uh, people's uh, livelihood change. The living standards are good. Uh, roads are being built. The railways are being, are being built. Wars and uh, areas of conflict are no longer there anymore. Because one thing is that the more uh, people become economically empowered, the more they think less and less about conflict. Most of those conflicts you see is sharing of resources within their republic or their state. But once the trend is open and everybody's moving all around, uh, people are able to make money in different ways, then we can see that the war is gone, right? The conflicts are gone. Then these are the milestones you could, you could be looking at in the down uh, 10 years down the line. But in the short term, we should be looking at, as you said, trend volumes. We'll see relaxation of tariffs. We'll see more write-ups about African free trade area. You know, journalists, uh, you know, talking about how uh, businesses are open in Burundi, how business in Chad, how they are in Angola, and that kind of thing. This is as some of the milestones and signposts we should be looking at, indicators for the, uh, you know, that African free trade area as a concept is working and it's been meant to work, it's been put on the ground and it's working. These are some of the things which I would, uh, you know, point out. Thanks, Nico, for those observations. Quite uh, good observations that you make there, you know. So if I could turn to Isanda and you speak a bit more about your observations on the African continental free trade area, what do you think about it? Um, thank you, Christine. And I wouldn't say I'm very optimistic overly the optimist about this new agreement, but I would say it's good that we give it a chance to see how things go. And the reason why I'm saying that is because if we look at the agreements that Africa as a whole have gotten into in the past and uh, how they have implemented, it's not very encouraging. For instance, the Maputo Declaration of 2008 where African countries all agreed to spend more than 10% of their, at least 10% of their budgets on agriculture. So far, I think we have only eight in 2020 that are now uh, fully compliant. And I'll, let's say a bit of like 26% of the rest that are between 5% and 10% spending their, that's as a percentage of the GDP spent on agriculture. Uh, before, we also had the Yamosukro decision, which was like the decision to open up airspace so that African Africans don't have to fly to Europe so that they come back, you know, to another African capital or something like that. That's still, I don't think the implementation has been done as we speak. So we tend to see there's so many uh, stumbling blocks when Africans decide to do something. Another example I'll give closer home is the East Africa community, uh, which, you know, collapsed in, collapsed in 1977 and then revived in 2000. And since then, you'd see there's ups and downs, which, of course, is expected. But I think it's a lesson for all of us to know that this, all we are expecting, all the good things we are expecting that will come with the free trade area might not actually come easy. There will be lots of pain and there will be, you know, ups and downs. And most of this, I would say, is a factor of governments 
and how they are structured. The people as, as a whole, Africans as, as we are, I think we are willing to work together. If you look at art, which is not, which is not bound by the politics, so by art I, I talk of things like music. You see Diamond collaborating with a South African artist, and you see a Ghanaian artist uh, singing with Nigerian artists, you know? They are not bound by these uh, colonial boundaries, meaning the people sort of are okay, you know, working and doing things across border. But governments come in and say, okay, for you to cross over, you need this visa, you need this, and it becomes really difficult. So I would say some of these protectionist uh, attitudes that our governments have will probably linger on for some time. And maybe for some reason, it's, it could be justified because, for instance, why would, um, so let's say we have signed a free, a free trade agreement, Kenya and Uganda. Then Ugandan farmers bring their eggs and they are costing, say, 20 Kenyan shillings per, let's say, what's this, per egg? No, no, per egg, let's say they are costing uh, 8 shillings. And Kenyan eggs are probably costing 15 because of the various tax regimes in the country that make the uh, farm inputs higher than in Uganda. So you see Kenyan farmers complaining, why are, why are eggs coming from Uganda and we don't have market for our eggs here? So the fact that so many African countries produce the same goods and services and therefore we are in competition rather than complementing each other is going to be, I think, a point of conflict as, as a, you know, in terms of the trade and opening up. Most countries will be skeptical and unwilling to open up their borders because they'll be saying, oh, our industries will die. What will happen to our farmers? You know, that kind of thing. But yeah. if we were courageous enough to move forward, industrialize, you know, develop the infrastructure early enough, this wouldn't be such a big problem because it would have been, you know, people have learned to diversify early enough. Because for instance, right, uh, read, I read somewhere like five years ago that majority of the food that is uh, consumed in Congo Brazzaville comes from France. As much as you know, Congo Brazzaville is in the equatorial zone, they receive all the rainfall and stuff, they still import most of their food because they rely mostly on oil. So there's really not so much agriculture going on. So for instance, one kilo of meat in Congo Brazzaville is the equivalent of a thousand Kenya shillings. In Kenya, one kilo of meat is probably 400 Kenya shillings. There were times, at that time, the flights from Nairobi to Congo Brazzaville, Kenya Airways was operating three times a week to that destination. But still, no one was, you know, sending meat over there. Yeah? Flowers, no one, even tomatoes, they import everything from France. So still, we will find that it's not easy. You know, there's already market there. We have the goods here, we could supply them, but they are still, some uh, legacy uh, establishments in place. So, for instance, we don't know who is supplying the meat in in, um, in Congo Brazzaville and who is who they are connected to politically, and therefore they might not allow a new entrant from another African country to come and disrupt the current setup. You know, it's some political uh, uh, you know hurdles to overcome. So that's one of the things. So the major problem we will have going forward for me is the political setup. And then the other one is the rule of law and safeguarding of contracts. So for instance, the, in the European Union, trade between countries in Europe is at 60%. In Africa, for whatever reason, we are at 16%. So if someone in Czech Republic sends some goods to England, they expect to be paid probably within one month. And if they are not paid, they can go to court in either London or in their capital city, and their case will be heard 
and ruled fairly. So they know that a contract that they have signed between a supplier in Czech Republic and the and the person receiving the goods in London will be honored because the courts can enforce the contract. What about are we able to say that we have the proper court system that can be able to secure that contract, rule of law, property rights? You know, will I see my goods seated in Nairobi to Luanda in Angola and sit and wait for payment? You know, or will they, will I go there and then they tell me? try and see, you know, that kind of thing. So that is going to be a big problem. And I'm sure even without the Africa free trade area, if we had rule of law, safeguard, you know, laws that safeguard contracts and property rights would be trading much, much more. And I'm speaking from experience. I've done business between Tanzania and Kenya before and things happen. You know, you, you, you get to a point where you supply goods. So I used to supply fish. I used to take fish from Mwanza in Tanzania and sell in Nairobi. So I would come to my people in Nairobi and, you know, they'll say, okay, we won't pay you now. Come tomorrow. I come tomorrow. They tell me, oh, we don't have money today. Come tomorrow. And the story will go on until today, since 2009, I'm still owed money by this. I can't take them anywhere, you know. No one will listen to me. I have no recourse, you know. So it becomes a problem when you cannot enforce contracts, when the courts are not in favor of business, and when you are not sure who is going to defend you on the other side, which is the other country, if you have a problem. Will the police be on your side if something happened, or will they side with this person from this other country? So these are some of the hurdles we'll have to overcome going and that's that's why I have some skepticism as to you know yeah. where we are headed this red trade And the last thing I would say is if we compare ourselves with other parts of the world that have implemented such agreements or similar agreements, and we say we are where they are when they started. So for instance, the ASEA and ASEAN, the Asian Tigers. They've been doing their trade. I think the level of trade between them is about 45%. When they sign this argument, I don't know the exact time. Are we at the same level? Are we at the same level in terms of our organization, our preparation, and everything as they were? So that we can predict how successful we will be. Or can we say, okay, fine, we are unique. We, we, can, we should not be compared with other people. We will make it in our own way. I, I'm not sure. But my maybe the parting shot for me is I'll be very cautious to be too optimistic about it, but I won't brush it out altogether. I'm sure some countries will find a way to work better with each other, but there'll be issues between other countries. So for instance, Somalia and South Sudan, if you want to implement free, free movement of people, and countries like those that probably don't have a well-functioning government, Mm. I will say feel welcoming people from those countries, you know? Mm. So it's that, those kind of things I'm looking at. Okay. Uh, those are, like, such good comments. I mean, uh, honestly, especially, like, when you speak about, like, uh, the rule of law um, and especially contracts, I mean, like, the judicial systems within Africa, they need to function. And even if the protocol on the uh, on the African continental free trade area provides, especially for like some dispute resolution, especially with regard to the agreement, but the court systems have to function. And within Africa, one of the biggest problem is interference by the executive, by the presidents with the judiciary. Like the the judiciary, like the appointees are presidents appointees, and the president has problems with if he don't do his bidding. But I think those are really good observations. Um, and I think uh, we have gotten into the side where the question that we were to discuss next, uh, which was like some of the uh, things that will challenge the achievement of the goals of the African continental free trade area, which I think you have highlighted very well. And I know there are quite many more that can be addressed. 
But Biko, if I could ask you, do you, uh, and especially taking with what Isanda said and uh, any other thoughts that you had, you had on the uh, potential for like cha- potential challenges, what are some things that might have been done or that you have observed that may, might make give us smooth sailing to the Africa continental free trade area, no matter how small? Like, uh, what are some of the small or big things that could be observed as potentially pointing to potential for success despite the many failures of other regional economic communities in Africa? Well, um, the African free trade area is being introduced to a skeptic, uh, you know, kind of a population because Africa has had many certain stuff. So it's really um, a, a good thing for, uh, you know, the, the fact that there are people who are a little pessimistic about the African free trade area. I would as well identify with the concerns about being pessimistic about the African free trade area. But as you look at it, you look historically, from the time Africa was granted independence by the European powers, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of naysayers, right? And the people who painted a very gloomy picture about the African republics and states, Mm -hmm. some of these came to pass. Others were not really on target. And Africa's... uh, Drived in spite of all those uh, concerns. What I would say is that if you look at um, some successes of the, the countries which got independence, that's a very good pointer that, you know, we can be left on our own means and be able to take care of our own business. Mm-hmm. Although cases of failure are there as well. Mm-hmm. So the, the, either the optimist and the pessimist are all, are, are, are this, they share almost halfway the concerns about Africa. But the, if with, the, with the coming of uh, success stories like uh, countries like Botswana, Mauritius, Seychelles, you know, countries like Namibia uh, and, and other countries which have been successful after they got their independence, that's just something to encourage the African free, free trade area to, to carry on. Mm-hmm. There is also a point of the, the preferential uh, trade areas, ECOWAS, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the East African community, the Sandak area, a customs union like SACU and COMESA, all these have been formed and uh, they have faced all those challenges you mentioned about. All the ch- some of them are almost in, in a collapsing stage. There was a betrayal of the East African community in 1977, as it was earlier pointed out. Why? Because of betrayal. Now, when they got the things right and they got the, the legal processes right, now we have another new uh, East African community. Now, the challenges are there, but the pointers of success are even, uh, are even more pointed, if you will, because we have seen much failure as well as much success in Africa. So we should more look at the way in which we can add, especially the two points which were raised about politics and uh, the legal processes. Mm. Those areas must be addressed first and foremost. And I think with the African free, free trade area, the document calls for in the first phase, it calls for uh, trade in services, sorry, goods and services. And plus the other element which must be addressed is legislation, which was uh, a big concern. How do you, uh, because if you, are, if you are a trader from, let's say, um, Zambia, you send things out to Tanzania and the people don't want to pay you. How do you address that matter? Mm. It's not easy because the jurisdictions are different. But then they have moved very pretty quick to understand that that concept is going to limit, we, it's going to put this whole concept of the Africa free trade area in the dustbin if it's not addressed as a matter of urgency. So they, they, there are a lot of teething issues, a lot of teething issues to be addressed. There are so many things you can point like they are going to make this whole concept of Africa free trade area fail. But there are many pointers to the successes of Africa, not least about the successes and um, the the struggles of the republics until they are able to get democracy and then multi-party, I mean, uh, single-party dictatorship, then uh, multi-party and now democracy where, you know, 
uh, ethnic groups can be able to have uh, and, and, and kind of a semblance of sharing the resources. That's a very big um, you know, plus right there. Then we are looking at, um, you know, as I said, preferential trade areas. They have been struggling as well. They have come up with a lot. ECOWAS wanted to come with an uh, currency. Of course, yeah. you cannot have a, a, a free trade area without a currency. So these things are being undressed, and yeah. they will be undressed. My hope is that the document is good enough to have learned from uh, all these preferential trade areas in Africa, as well as copy from the European Union and ensure that the document they are coming up with and what they are going to roll out which from the first of this, uh, this, uh, this January 2021 is going to cater for every other anomalies and a little bit of problems which have been there before. But I'm very optimistic that this will be done because at this age, we are able to know what can bring failure and we must take care of that. Those are very good observations. And uh, Joel, if, uh, as we come to a close, if you could, uh, you know, like speak a bit more about other observations that you have made on like the potential challenges for uh, the Africa continental free trade area. And well, there's the really good points that Biko has said, uh, like, you know, there are economists that are doing well, they're learning from failures and like the ESC has picked up and think like SACU is the oldest customs union in the world. It has existed for such a long time. I forget how many years, but it features among the oldest in the world. So, but also when you look at uh, realistically the challenges in addition to what Isanda said, what do you look at and think this really need to be addressed from your point of view? Yeah, thanks again, Christine. Uh, I mean, I actually appreciate uh, the comments from Isanda as well as from Kobia. Uh, definitely for a balanced view of uh, what to expect from these uh, AFCFTA definitely have to look at both sides, the optimists as well as the pessimists. Um, definitely, I think on a good day, the pessimists will have a field uh, given what we have observed historically in Africa, as well as, um, you know, listening to a lot of individuals and what they really think about Africa, including us Africans ourselves. However, I think um, I always bear in mind that uh, success is never a walk in the park. I also bear in mind the fact that uh, success is always the fruit of a lot of failures. Uh, so I think the question in my mind right now is how ready are Africans um, ready in their mind, in their attitudes, to be able to deal with all the failures that will come with trying this journey of getting control of their destiny in their hands is definitely not going to be a walk in the park. However, it's one that we either attempt now or never to never be, be done by anyone. At least if one generation tries and fails, then the next generation definitely has a good chance to get it right, hopefully building on the failures and successes of the previous generation. So in terms of the threats to the success of uh, the ACFTA and what can be done to really fix those threats, I, I would say a lot can go wrong. In fact, so much. Um, a lot is actually a statement, and I would rather keep it grossly understated at this point. I don't want to overstate it or put it to the right uh, weight, because it's really a lot that can go wrong. Uh, but in the interest of moving things forward in the fastest and most effective way, I'll probably shift the question to ask, what can go right? What has gone right uh, with the, all the initiatives that we have seen before the AFCFTA? Because a lot, uh, like my friends commented, has gone right. They have definitely highlighted real challenges, like the rule of law in Africa is a real challenge. Um, you know, the commitment to trade is a real challenge. As Sandra commented, you go selfish in Mwanza, sorry, Kenya or any part of Africa, and you don't get paid for your fish for days. Um, you know, as an accountant, of course, you make a provision for bad and doubtful debts. But that was not your business in the first instance to be realizing bad debts. Um, so, and it's frustrating because uh, then the reason why you went to buy the fish in that part of the continent is you obviously wanted to promote them as well as promote yourself and the people that you know you are serving as your segment market. Uh, so, what could go right instead of uh, what has gone right? I think there is that collective will 
and converged with our end aspirations amongst the people in Africa, as well as other Africans outside Africa, for a strong and united Africa that has uh, its destiny in its hands. I think uh, we definitely have to use that willpower and the uh, aspiration positively, despite the challenges that face it. Um, I've had many people say that in Africa, we are probably the only people that probably need very little discussion with each other. We kind of naturally gravitate towards each other when there are problems, uh, we want to help each other out. Uh, we definitely have that, you know, socialism strongly built in us from the villages and from the uh, families that come from back in Africa. is very strong. So that collective thinking, we definitely have to use it well and really exploit it. Uh, in Kenya, we had the Harambe spirit, which meant pulling together. Um, and that tapped properly towards the great the ACE. CFPA. Um, the other thing that has gone very well is, like I mentioned, you're looking at Africa as a young and very well educated population, as well as a population that has great entrepreneurial culture. You see Sanda, for example, fish from Kwanzaa, bringing it to Kenya. Um, you, we also have a very innovative culture in African people, especially the young ones who are not willing to settle down for uh, you know, just the traditional jobs that we had our parents and previous generations doing. Um, try all sorts of innovations. They are more comfortable with failure. Um, and we also have lots of availability of cheap labor, especially in the so-called weak economies. So you can look at them as weak economies or good for nothing economies, but you can also look at them as, hey, it's a big opportunity for trading and uh, putting, you know, industries there. You can produce goods and services more cheaply. The promise is a great uh, opportunity for the entrepreneur, as well as the country itself and its people. Um, and I think the other thing that really works for us in Africa is literally great uh, natural resources, a 1.3 billion strong population, young and energetic population, um, as well as the current uh, trading we have in Africa. And I think uh, mention of, for example, East Africa community that collapsed in 1977. But we also have successes in West Africa, they are in Southern African countries. Uh, the question is, what can we learn from those people that can actually help us to move forward from where we are and succeed as a block? So um, I would say the challenges are there, as they have been very well outlined. I think in terms of uh, perceptions and attitudes towards the, the you know, political Generally, Africans, we have a very poor attitude towards the political agreements. We don't, we probably have very low trust in politicians for good reasons. We also have the um, traditional um, colonial masters and their vested interests somewhere in the background and pulling strings from behind the scenes. We have issues with the infrastructure and bureaucracy, very poor rule of, rule of law. We have a company, oh, sorry, countries still thinking in the protectionist mode and thinking it's me, 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 not really being able to think in terms of integration and being able to think in the long term. We have challenges in terms of corruption and you can name them and the list goes on and on and on. The, the, you know, the factors against Africa are indeed a lot. But again, when you really look at the factors for Africa, I think uh, it's a lot going for us, especially uh, if you think just uh, even assuming we forget about everything else, just the great market potential that Africa holds for itself as well as for the rest of the world uh, in terms of uh, having just a ready market as well as a ready resource, as well as having all the resources you need in the world to produce anything, you know, probably for the entire universe. All those resources are to be found in Africa. Um, so all we need is just to get organized. Can we get organized? I believe this answer is a strong yes. There's no reason why Africans cannot get organized. And uh, I think it's important to then probably conclude and ask, so why are Africans not getting organized or why haven't they gotten organized in the past? And in my mind, it's a culture um, uh, paradigm shift that needs to happen in all of us between our minds. We change our attitudes and our thinking and our, you know, the way we look at, at things, we start thinking in the medium term 
as well as in the short in the short term and most importantly in the long term what does the, the actions we take today mean for us our future generations 50 years to come 100 years to come a thousand years to come 10,000 years to come I think that kind of change of mindset I think that's going to change everything in terms of the way we look at getting organized today tomorrow the days to come and that's the big mountain that we really have to climb change of mind mindset really is the big mount Kilimanjaro for the AFCFTA agreement and the people of Africa really have to climb at this point once we climb that mountain I think the rest the job be much easier to do. There will be cooperation Thanks, Joel. And I, I think that those are really good observations that you make uh, and the potential that Africa has and what could come out of it. I think uh, let's we will need to pick up this discussion a bit further uh, next month. Uh, so because we intend to have like a discussion every month on Africa trade you know, especially keep track on the Africa continent of free trade area. And these are very good observations that have been made on the challenges, like on the rule of law, especially, which is a real thing. And uh, what Joel, you have also observed that there's this potential, like, and you can look at what can be done right and change in mindset. And also, uh, without also forgetting that we actually have turned around in the past, you know, like we've turned around, like with the EAC and everything that has happened. Thank you guys so much for joining in and sharing your insights on this. I will uh, want to end it here and then we will pick up, uh, especially to mention more on like that party interference on the like Africa continental free trade area, which is a real thing, and the ongoing almost global trade wars that are being uh, observed in Africa, like one the West and the East and fighting for resources or to do some things in Africa and the potential that the Africa continental free trade area could have to save on some of such things. But thank you so much, uh, Biko, for joining in tonight. And Joel, thank you so much for joining in and your comments stand as well. And uh, we will have more discussions in the future about this. Thanks a lot, guys.